Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything. Maybe we never enlighten you. Maybe we never get your wings flapping. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are kicking off our new theme for the month. So you all voted. And to be honest, I'm actually kind of surprised by the theme that you chose. But <laughs> that theme is Birds of Prey. So we are, of course, starting with the penultimate Killer Birds classic, Ooh. Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> I feel like it makes total sense. It's Thanksgiving time. It's all about killer birds. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> it's just, it's a very limited, <laughs> you know, uh, subgenre. But as we discovered in, you know, trying to find movies for this. But uh, so The Birds came out in 1963 and it was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, who, of course, you all know is the director of Psycho, Rear Window, North by Northwest, and just a whole ton of classics. Uh, and it was written by Evan Hunter, who had done some episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents before this. It's based on a short story by Daphne du Maurier, uh, who wrote the novel Rebecca, which Hitchcock also directed the adaptation of. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, and and it's basically about a woman who decides, or a woman played by Tippi Hendren, who decides to play a quote-unquote <laughs> prank she's very dedicated <laughs> on, on a man played by rod taylor who decides to deliver these lovebirds 60 miles away at a place called bodega bay she drives all the way up there to give them <laughs> these birds and anyway long story short once she gets there uh the town basically finds itself under siege by birds who have decided they're sick of humans shit and want to kill us all so yep. <laughs> Uh, so we are going to be spoiling the crap out of this movie, so if you have not seen it, I do recommend checking it out beforehand. Who hasn't uh, seen this movie? There are Every movie has people <laughs> that haven't seen it, Chris. It doesn't matter how much of a classic it is. So Fair enough. Uh, so, so if you have not seen The Birds, do recommend going and checking it out. Uh, I cannot recall if it's streaming anywhere, but it is well worth the rental. This movie is a classic. It's very good. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, but before we get into spoilers, we do have our usual spoiler-free content. So as far as releases go this week, look, we're getting into November and the later part of the year, uh, October has passed. <laughs> so we're kind of getting to that point where slim there's pickings. Kind of get to that point where there's slim pickings, you know, and there'll be good stuff here and there. But this week is not one of those. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what I have for you this week first up is a film called Lair, and it, this comes out on the ninth on VOD, and it's basically. It's an interesting setup. It's about, although it's kind of convoluted, it's about this guy who, uh, this is something I was never really clear on watching the movie, some sort of paranormal investigator, I think. <laughs> and uh, his buddy ends up claiming that he was possessed and that's why he killed his family. And so this guy decides, okay, I'm going to try to prove the existence of ghosts to make money and maybe help my friend out a little bit. <laughs> All right. And so he, like, 
basically uh, rents out this apartment in an abandoned building to this family of women and is, like, introducing different potentially haunted objects to see if any ghost happenings occur. What the fuck? (laughs) This is convoluted. And in the meantime, he's also, like, set up secret cameras everywhere to record everything. So it's also kind of, like, sleazy and weird, right? Yep. And, you know, of course, ghostly things begin happening. And uh, anyway, the thing I'll say about it is, like, it's kind of a cool setup. It's very convoluted. It doesn't really make anything all that clear. Uh, I kind of spent the whole movie not even really understanding who this guy was. <laughs> and and it's just, it's very just, it's not a film where you really understand what's happening, right? <laughs> but is it at least cool looking? The movie itself is shot pretty well. Okay. Uh, and, and some of the performances are decent. <laughs> Uh, the and then the the demon that kind of comes into it is pretty cool though you never really get a good look at it but it's very vicious and and there are some pretty bloody sequences which are kind of fun, um, but it's it's just it's just very much okay at best okay. right so <laughs> uh, so if you're curious you can find my review for that on killhorrorcritic.com it should be up by the time you're listening to this uh, and then there's also a film called Double Walker which I have not seen and this is coming to uh, VOD on the twelfth and this is basically about a ghost that is investigating her own murder. So pretty typical setup. The thing that I am intrigued by with it is that it is that the ghost is played by Sylvie Mix, who some of you probably haven't heard of yet, but she's kind of a she's kind of an actress that I've started paying attention to because I caught her in a film called Poser during a festival recently, mm-hmm. and her performance just like fascinated me. So I think that. You know, so I'm curious about this one because her playing the ghost just seems like a perfect role for her. So I'm really excited for that. So, and right. I, I'll also be reviewing this one, so you can look for my review on this as well on on KillerHorrorCritic.com. Uh, but that's it for releases this week, Aww. folks. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I don't know if you're gonna find too much this week, but hopefully you enjoy one of those. So it's a good time to watch the birds. Yes, it's you a haven't perf- seen it yet. <laughs> it is a perfect time to watch the birds <laughs> and the sequel. If you've never seen the sequel, there's a sequel. There is a sequel, Chris. I um, want to see the sequel. <laughs> it's not as good, but I, don't I remember care. liking it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, or every week on our Twitter at Killer Critics, we also like to put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine; don't like it, never seen it. Where do you think the audience falls on the birds? Look, it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. It's a classic. It has to be Love It. I don't feel like there's another answer. If it's haven't seen it, I'm going to be mad because <laughs> I've seen it. Well, you've seen it because I made you watch it. but No, I watched it before <laughs> you. Uh, well, yeah. So in this case, uh, it is Love It. So 69% okay. dun, dun, tch, <laughs> uh, love it. 21% said it's fine. 3% don't like it. And, seven, and 7% have never seen it. So 7%. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, it came out in 1963. There's going to be people that haven't seen it, but I'm not as upset about this one as like the the Killer Kids movies that came out like two years ago that no one's seen. So, uh, but but yeah, so uh, that's pretty much what I expected from the poll. Uh, we also like to get your thoughts and comments on the film as well. So these are all from Twitter. So first up is at Bede Germain. So that's B E D E. J-E-R-M-Y-N, and this is my buddy Bede. Uh, he does a lot of great podcasts, too, with our friend Marcy, so you should follow them and check them out. Uh, but he says, I mean, it's Hitchcock and making a film about killer animals. What's not to love? It's just brilliant. For me personally, both this and Jaws are the high marks when it comes to killer animal films. 
The fact that there is no score at all makes it even more unnerving and effective. Exactly. Like, look, Alfred Hitchcock, he's a well-known name for a reason. Um, Birds is always going to have a special place in my heart personally just because it was one of the early horror films that I watched. Um, oh, really? I, yeah, when I was starting to get into horror, I very much had the mentality of I have to watch the classics. So me and my friends in high school basically rented like a big collection of Alfred Hitchcock's like best films. Mm. So we watched Psycho. We watched the Psycho remake. Um, that Perfect. Was, yeah. Um, we watched Rear Window and Birds. And so Birds has a really special place in my heart. And I do think that the lack of a score and how they kind of use sound or the lack thereof to really mm. like ramp up the tension is so perfect yeah so uh i'm not a technical guy so i'm not (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of things in this episode that i might mention that i can't really explain well but (laughs) but from it's my understanding that hitchcock became aware of some kind of uh electrical sound manipulation uh, around 1962 a year before the film came out Mm -hmm. and it was kind of then that he decided that you know he was intrigued by that because hitchcock was always a guy who was looking to kind of do things a little bit differently you know he always kind of wanted to stand out in that way yeah, and kind he's of an innovator yeah he he, t- he tended to go against the grain and try new things i mean like psycho you know killing yeah. off your star halfway through that was like unheard of so uh so with the birds he wanted to try this and it, you know do a film that didn't have a score where they manipulated instead sound to try to kind of use that as your sort of score mm-hmm. right so that's why you have all these sequences where the birds they have kind of this like uh, electronic sort of manipulation to their sounds yeah and that kind of helps sort of build like an atmospheric and it, it, so it, it, that's kind of the score that they end up using in a sense and and, and yeah I think it works great I mean yeah. it's you know I am the kind of person who thinks that a score can hugely benefit a movie <laughs> yes you are <laughs> um, especially you know something like Halloween where I think that that movie is you know half as good without the score yeah the thing that's interesting with Hitchcock is that you know, Hitchcock had this belief that if the audience was watching a silent film with no dialogue and they didn't understand what was going on or they weren't tense or anything like that, then something needed to change. You know, so mm-hmm. he was very he was very conscious of how an audience was feeling without being given like sound, basically. Yeah. And so I think that because of that, you know, he's kind of one of those more unique directors who really knows how to manipulate sound and didn't quite need a score for it to be effective. Yeah. So, so no, anyway, I completely agree with Bede. I, I do put the birds up as one of the best animals attack movies. I mean, this and Jaws are probably the best. And I know I'm kind of a, <laughs> maybe not alone in this, but I really love the movie Grizzly. Grizzly's great. Which, which I think is a fantastic uh, 70s killer bear movie that's way more violent and vicious than you think it's going to be when you first start it. But anyway, so thank you at B Germain for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at, hopefully I say this okay, at kin underscore crunk. So that's K-Y-N underscore K-R-U-N-K. And they say, every time I see flocks of birds migrating, I think they're plotting a hostile takeover. <laughs> That's because they absolutely are. They sure are. <laughs> yes, they are. It's, you know, birds are fascinating. I'm going to animal nerd out real quick. Um, real quick. <laughs> real quick. Just because, like, there are birds like crows and ravens that are so fucking smart. And if you're a dick to them, they are absolutely plotting against you. So watch your step. <laughs> 
Yeah, crow, crows actually are very intelligent. That's yeah. why they mostly used crows in the movie, because they're smarter birds that they could train and yeah. kind of manipulate better. So and they remember faces. <laughs> they're so smart. It's so cool. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny if you listen to uh, some of the actors talk about their experience on set, because they had different trained birds. So, like, I think, if I remember correctly, there, there was one bird, I want to say was named... Archie that Tippy Hedren became friends with that was really friendly with her and and that's the bird that you I think see a lot of photos with her in Mm -hmm. Uh, but then there was also a bird that I want to say was named Charlie that hated Rod Taylor (laughs) so so he tells stories about how he would like come on to set and ask people if Charlie was working that day and they'd be like oh I don't think so and then Charlie would just like swoop down out of the rafters <laughs> and attack him. <laughs> okay, I fucking love Charlie. So, so actually, there's a scene in the movie. Um, I won't say when because I don't want to spoil anything. But there's that scene where his hand is all bandaged up and he goes to like touch a railing and a bird snaps at it. Yeah, that was Charlie. That so that wasn't <laughs> supposed to happen there. Charlie fucking hated Rod basically. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Charlie. Uh, so I just thought that was funny, but. Uh, yeah, no, totally. You know, th- this is like Jaws, which made people afraid of sharks in the ocean. Mm-hmm. The Birds is that movie that suddenly made people look at birds and go, huh, there certainly are a lot of you out there. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, so anyway, thank you at Ken un- underscore Crunk for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Ars Gratia Artis 1. So that's A-R-S-G-R-A-T-I-A. A-R-T-I-S, and then the number one. And they say, saw it as a kid on TV, and I'll never forget those eyes. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I can't imagine watching on TV. Like, that would be such a fun experience to just stumble upon this movie, as opposed to just hemorrhaging Alfred Hitchcock films like I did. <laughs> Marathoning? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't know that hemorrhaging's the right word, Chris. <laughs> um. I'm not good with words. <laughs> you are not. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, so that's also how I caught this film as well, was on TV for the first time, and I also remember being a kid and seeing this particular moment, which I don't think this is a spoiler, there's a point where a dead body's discovered and their eyes have been pecked out, and that terrified me as a kid, especially because, you know, when you watch films, I think, from this age, from the 60s, you don't expect such a graphic image, you know? Yeah. Uh, it just, it wasn't... As as far as I can tell, it just wasn't as common at the time, right? So, and again, Hitchcock was one of those directors that was always kind of pushing things a little bit. So when I first saw that scene, it's come so unexpectedly and it looks so gruesome that you're just like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, I completely agree. Classic. That That's an incredible scene. It's one that I've always remembered from this movie. Uh, so thank you at Ars Gracia Artiste One for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Halloween Year Round. So that's Halloween Y-R-R-N-D. And this is a buddy of mine does a website called HalloweenYearRound.com. You should check them out. He's always putting out fun lists and stuff like that. Uh, but he says, fun fact, crows are probably capable of doing this. They've been seen using tools and even domesticating wolves and working with them, helping them hunt and watching over pups. Scientists describe the crows as being in their stone age currently. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Crows are fascinating to like read about. And it's it's interesting too because there are stories about people who have befriended crows because they feed them and stuff like that. And the crows become very protective of their person. Seriously, no. like look into those stories. They're super cool. But yeah, what's even more terrifying is like 
the cars are super smart, but this is also based on real events. Mm. There's a thing, I want to say it's blue algae, but I'm not 100%. But there's a specific al- algae that like can get poisonous that if the birds eat it, it can cause them to have kind of reactions like this. So if the crows get into like tainted allergy, we are fucked. <laughs> well, so first of all, I, I did find that to be a really fun fact from Halloween year round, so I wanted to include it. But no, actually, I mean, you know, Hitchcock was partially inspired to do the movie because of a recent spat of bird attacks, which I think came from something like what yeah. you're talking about. And so, but no, yeah, I, I think the, I think the, idea that crows are in their stone age you know as scientists describe is pretty terrifying when you think about it because there are you know millions and millions and millions of crows uh so to think that there ever could be a point where crows are like you know what i'm sick of your shit humans um we probably would be kind of like we'd be fucked (laughs) i now want a crow as a as a pet to protect us from the the bird invasion right like how how do you fight an army of crows you know you can't like nuke the sky so (laughs) Uh, you just roll over and accept your death. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so anyway, thank you at Halloween Year Round for the comment. Appreciate it. And then last comment is from at the Lady Magic. So that's I think I don't have to spell that the Lady Magic. And it, they say I love it, but as I went to click on that, I sneezed and ended up with don't like it. Sorry. So <laughs> so so I just, I just I just wanted to include this comment because uh, I just that just made me laugh and I just wanted to let. <laughs> I just wanted to let the Lady Magic know that. So they're talking about the poll, you know, that I put up on Twitter, and I guess they accidentally hit don't like it instead of instead of love it. So, so fucking cute. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so I appreciate you leaving that comment. It made me laugh. Um, but, yes, it is a great movie, and I'm sorry that you ended up doing that. Uh, but anyway, so one last thing we like to do before spoilers is tagline versus the movie and what we think of it overall. So the tagline for the birds was, suspense and shock beyond anything you have seen or imagined <laughs> okay that's a shitty tagline because it doesn't mention the birds at all it's pretty bad you know again i think i've mentioned this before Th- this was kind of a period where the taglines weren't always great because they, <laughs> <You know? laughs> they cause they to me so there was a certain point i think where marketing became a little bit better in terms of you know taglines and posters and whatnot uh where they kind of became more film focused you know more like that particular film and kind of trying to like play with that a little bit but then but there was a period where with horror taglines which you know you can look back and look at all these where the tagline was kind of always something of like you've never seen something this terrifying it's going to shock and scare you you know like it was it was kind of more of that selling point. So, like, yeah. every movie, every horror movie at the time, their tagline was, like, shocking, horrific, you know? <laughs> uh, like, it just wanted to sell the fact that it was scary yeah. instead of, like, being film particular. <laughs> I totally get that. And to be fair, it probably was really effective at the time. We're just spoiled now, and we want, like, more specific ones. So, I want a tagline with birds in it. I mean, you know, and, and, yeah, maybe it was effective, you know, because if you've got yeah. a, if you got a thing screaming at you like this is going to scare yeah. your fucking pants off, then like, you have to go see it. I right. want my pants scared off. Right, but but I I still say that stuff like you know alien within space, no one can hear you scream like mm-hmm. that. That to me is so much more effective because yeah. it's like because that that's really selling the film as is instead of just being like this is scary. <laughs> <laughs> so, Definitely uh, agree with you. The tagline does not do justice to how good this film is. But yeah, this is definitely, look, I'm, I have to admit, Birds is probably my favorite Hitchcock film. I think I do like it more than Psycho, just because I think that the characters are very nuanced. 
Um, and I think that's really what draws me into the birds is the characters in this film. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, that that is the major thing I'll give it as well is that, so look, Psycho's my favorite. Uh, of course <laughs> it is. Psycho is my favorite Hitchcock. I just think it's masterfully put together and, and it's just, it's terrifying. And it was just so shocking for the time that it came out. But The Birds is very good. And, and I will agree that, you know, when you watch Psycho, uh, it's really Norman Bates that is the character that you're intrigued by yeah. and, and kind of studying. You know, he, he is the best written character in Psycho. And, and that's intentional, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at The Birds, that is something that I'll give it over Psycho is that overall, like in general, the characters are, are much more dynamic and interesting. Yeah. And, and that to me was just a credit for... You know, not just the screenwriter, but also just Hitchcock movies in general, because Hitchcock did really like to get in the characters. And I, you know, I would even say just movies during that period were maybe just a little bit better at this at times, because <laughs> you know, yeah. the, there, there, there was, there was, there was a, there was a better attention span, you know, during this time <laughs> period, and studios, I think felt that it was okay you know the birds is a two-hour movie Mm -hmm. and studios i think maybe felt a little more at the time that yeah it's okay if we spend a little time building character and making these real people so that the horror works and now we're just kind of like no we're impatient just get to the killing we don't give a fuck yeah that's definitely (laughs) true as somebody who has a short attention span as matt deals with regularly here's the one thing i will say if you build interesting characters i don't give a fuck if the action doesn't take place for a while. I am happy to watch a good character story. Yeah, that's just not most people, though. You know, most people now are just like, they would call that too slow. (laughs) It's too slow. We're not moving fast enough. I don't think we're as good as building (laughs) characters these days as they were then. I disagree with that. Like, if you want... I think there are some movies. No, no, no. I disagree with that. If you you want... Like, look, that would would be to say that writers aren't good anymore, and that's just not the case. Oh, that's not true. Like, if you watch shit on TV, I mean, people are writing great characters. It's just... It's just the fact that when when you're dealing with these studios who just want like bim bam thank you ma'am you know like kind of kind of horror movies y- you're not getting as much of a chance to really build these dynamic characters so I agree so it's less on the writers I think and more on the people in charge but that's why we like smaller horror films better most of the time generally yeah but yeah no so so the thing I'll just say about it is you know I I just think that this was such a kind of th- this is this is something I just really like about Hitchcock is I, I just want you to think about it this way, right? So at the time that Hitchcock made Psycho, you know, he he was kind of struggling. Uh, he was looking for, like, that next big hit, you know, and, and it was kind of like a down period in his career. And then he comes out with Psycho, and it's this mega blockbuster, you know, it just uh, it's just a huge hit. And I just love that he gets this huge hit that's so successful, and instead of doing what most directors would do and maybe move on to something that's a little bit more like highbrow or something like that, you know, off mm-hmm. the success of Psycho, uh, he instead goes, okay, I made Psycho. Now I'm going to go off and make this weird bird movie, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I just love that because he just strikes me as someone who never really gave a shit as much about what the public thought, and mm-hmm. he just wanted to do what he thought was interesting, you know? Yeah. So... So I love that he did Psycho, and then he just goes and takes this huge risk with the birds, <laughs> and, and it ends up paying off as well. So, But so anyway, so we're about to move into spoiler territory now, so again, if you have not seen the birds, we do recommend you check it out first, because we are going to talk about everything in this movie, uh, but if you have seen it, then stick with us, because we're about to spoil <laughs> it now. So, so getting the spoilers, as usual, who do you want to talk about? 
in the birds. We've got Tippi Hendren playing our main character, Melanie Daniels. We've got Rod Taylor playing her love interest, Mitch Brenner. Fucking Veronica Cartwright, who a lot of you probably know from the movie Alien, ends up playing uh, Mitch's uh, sister, little sister in this, which I think is great because when you see her in the movie, you would never know that that's Veronica Cartwright. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but who do you want to talk about? I mean, obviously I have to talk about my girl Melanie because this is her film. And look, a big reason I want to talk about Melanie is because she is a good example of how writing a nuanced character, an interesting character, can carry a film. Not to say that everybody else doesn't do a fantastic job, but mm. this is Melanie's story. And look, it starts off, I think, with the, the line that Mitch says to, to Melanie when he gives away the fact that he knows that she doesn't work, in, work at the bird shop in our like opening scene where he says, back in your gilded cage, Mrs. Daniels. And that's this whole film. Is It's about Melanie, who is this smart, energetic, vibrant woman, woman in the 60s who is trapped in this gilded cage. She's, mm. you know, the daughter of, like, one of the richest dudes in, in San Francisco. But you have to remember, for women in the 60s, they didn't have a lot of options. Mm. They couldn't do a lot. They were expected to be, you know, wives and mothers, housemakers. They really weren't able to have careers of their own. H Hitchcock almost always made movies with really interesting women. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this whole film for me is about Melanie kind of flapping against her own cage. She is trying, she's working really hard to be her own person. We've got this great scene with her and Mitch at the car when she's leaving for dinner you know, that first night type of thing mm. where Mitch is kind of making fun of her for her escapades. And it's really two sided of him. I really fucking hate Mitch in this scene. <laughs> Mitch is a terrible conversationalist, to say the least. <laughs> he is. But it's really kind of hypocritical of him because he's this defense lawyer. He defends murderers and things like that. He tries to see the better sides in people. But for Melanie Daniels, trying to explain the fact that she was in Rome and she understood she wasn't with a great crowd, but what mm. options does she really have? And she gets pushed into this fountain. She's a victim of circumstance. And it gets spun into this ridiculous story about how she jumped in and she was naked. And he won't believe her. She's like, you're a fucking defense attorney. See, I, I actually, I, I don't think that it's he doesn't believe her. I, I mean, maybe he doesn't. I, I sort of take it as more like, I mean, look, I'm not defending Mitch in this case because I do think he's a total. <laughs> Better not. I do think he's a total dick in this scene um, and in others. But I, I, I look at it more, I look at it more through their relationship and and how you know they're kind of like you and i were <laughs> when we first started dating and, and still now you know to this day but they're they're kind of more like playful and trying to like agitate each other you mm -hmm. know like that that's kind of their relationship at first they're like bullying yeah. each other and that's yeah. that's kind of how you and i were but but yes you know i i will agree that he is a dick in that scene and to me that is a lot of what the birds is about and i'm gonna get deeper into this as we go but but it is a lot about you know Melanie being this woman in a cage who, you know, has been put in this cage by society with how mm -hmm. it with how it views her, yep. right? And and I actually think that that ends up applying to a lot of people in this movie. Yes, um, which we'll get to. But uh, who I wanted to mention really quick is just actually just the townspeople of Bodega <laughs> Bay in general as a whole. <laughs> as a whole, because I I think that they you know, and I want to preface this with as I usually do that I don't think this has anything to do with the intentional meaning of the movie. Uh, and this is just kind of what I'm taking from it. Uh, but I think that it's interesting that the entire town, as was 
you know, kind of usual during this time period in the 60s is that this whole small town is just very naive and trusting. <laughs> you know, I mean, I it, it makes me crack up every time that Melanie gets to this town and she just goes to, like, the convenience store or whatever and the fucking attendant there, she's asking, like, hey, where does Mitch Brenner live and what's his daughter's <laughs> name? And, you know... What's his sister's what, name? What's his sister's name? I'm sorry, what's his sister's name? And what's like a, a secret route that I can take to his house so that he won't see me coming. You know, it's like all of this stuff that any normal person would be like, that's very suspicious. And I don't, I don't think I'm going to give you this person's address, you know, and all of this personal information about them. But this, this dude in this town is just like, ah, whatever, you know, no big deal. You're some fucking white woman, you know, you're, it's, it's going to be fine, you know? Like, I'm saying she's gorgeous. <laughs> Are you going to refuse to be Henderson anything? No, I'm not going to refuse to be Henderson anything. <laughs> she is gorgeous, and I probably would be that man. But I'm just, I'm just making the point of, like, you know, it, it's, it's very laughable as, a, as someone who lives in, you know, 2021 to look at this and see these people be so trusting and naive, mm-hmm. where now it's like someone even asks your name, and you're like, Fuck you! I will never tell you my real name. You know, like why? What do you need it for? Like, like we, like our generation is so untrusting <laughs> that it's just it's so funny to like watch this back sixty years ago where it was so much different. Um, but the reason I bring it up is that it also kind of plays into a little bit of the theme for me, uh, which you know, I, this being a movie about Melanie being in a cage, I also view it as a movie about. Uh, just relationships in general and love and all that kind of stuff and and how that sort of you know can be defeating for us and i sort of look at the town as being you know so naive and trusting as kind of a representation of like how we as human beings can be in general when it comes to love where we are you know open and a little bit naive and too trusting at times right Mm -hmm. and and we end up getting hurt from that occasionally and you know, so I kind of, I kind of just view the town as sort of like, you know, uh, uh, a representation of that part of ourselves as humans and how we are a little bit open when it comes to love. Yeah. And you know that sometimes leads to devastation, <laughs> as we find with this town by the end, where it's just mm-hmm. been completely torn <laughs> apart, right? So kind of getting into that concept. You know what? What do you personally think are the significance of the lovebirds? Like, why is it why is it lovebirds that Mitch is looking for, and why is it lovebirds that Melanie drives sixty miles, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to deliver to him in this town, this complete stranger? <laughs> I mean, look, I feel like the obvious answer is, of course, the lovebirds in some sense represent Melanie and Mitch and their relationship and their budding relationship and all that kind of stuff. And look, I looked up. Love birds real quick because I wanted to know what kind of birds they are. They are part of the parrot family, which I think is very fascinating. For sure. But lovebirds is also an interesting choice because as birds themselves, they represent Mitch and Melanie very well. They're very, like, loud and boisterous, and they need a lot of, like, playtime and space and freedom, which I think is very representative of both Mitch and Melanie as people. But I feel like once we dive more into it, the lovebirds really is a symbol of all of the different like love connections that we do kind of have in this film. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of representative of kind of our end scene where Kathy wants to bring the lovebirds with her at the end. And she's just like, Mitch, can't I? The lovebirds haven't hurt anybody. But we've seen in this film 
our lovebirds, Mitch and Melanie, have kind of hurt quite a few people and thrown their lives into chaos. Like I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> well, I think because it, you know, Melanie and Mitch and their relationship, whatever it ends up being, you know, kind of upsets Lydia's life. Mitch's Mitch's mom, who's played by I'm uh, Jessica Tandy, mm. you know, it upsets her life and how she feels like she fits into her own son's life and will she not belong anymore? And it also throws Annie Hayworth, who's played by Suzanne uh, Pleshette. And what her relationship with Mitch, because she followed Mitch to Bodega Bay. Well, and she ended up building a life there just to be close to this dude who doesn't want her anymore. Well, it's right. so sad. <laughs> it is very sad. <laughs> and, and fun fact about that is that, just for those who care about this stuff, the original concept for the birds was supposed to be about a woman who moves to Bodega Bay to become a teacher. And, and that was who the main character was going it to was be. It was supposed to be Annie's story? Technically, I mean, not Aww. not Annie specifically, but yeah. it was supposed to be about a teacher that moves there. And that ended up, you know, getting scrapped, obviously, for Melanie. But uh, but Annie is left over as kind of that part of the script, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. so so I, I view it a little bit differently, but, but pretty similar in the sense that, you know, I, I do think, I, I do see where you're coming from with the idea that the... Uh, that that Mitch and Melanie are kind of, you know, this relationship that's kind of like hurt or affected other people. I, I do agree with that part. And it's I, not intentional. They're not doing it intentionally. Well, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do kind of agree with that part. I, I just more so think that the, the lovebirds in general are more, to me, kind of not just about those two, but really about just love in general and how and kind of how that works because you know when, when you look through the characters in this movie you know you do have annie who is also kind of trapped in this cage of love and her love for mitch right and yep. she's basically you know secluded herself in this town mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and taken her life there just because of mitch uh his own mother she's kind of trapped by you know her concept of love and and how and how the death of her husband's affected her, and how she is so afraid of being lonely, you know. And, and to me, that that's kind of where the lovebirds come in a little bit. Is that the lovebirds kind of, you know, as bird as birds themselves, they're this species. I think that you know is supposed to be in pairs, right? They're supposed to be together like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't, you know, not necessarily good to separate lovebirds, right? And so, and so, you know, so, something like Annie and Lydia's story to me is is even more representative of the lovebirds in the sense that, you know, these are two people who have had that separation, mm-hmm. and and they're kind of living the effects of that. And so, in this being Melanie's story, I think that part of it is Melanie is sort of that lovebird, and Mitch is sort of her potential companion. But I think that she's also experiencing all these other different parts of the story, like Lydia and like Annie, to kind of see sort of the danger and terror uh, that can kind of come from love that doesn't work out and what that separation looks like once it ends. Right. You know, so so basically what I'm trying to say is she's she's going through. She's going through all the different elements of love. She's going through the excitement of it. Mm -hmm. uh, But the birds as a movie as a whole is also kind of about the tragedy of it and the dangers of it and, you know, what it can do to you as a person in in so many different ways. Right. Yeah, I can agree with that. So that's that's kind of how I viewed that part of it. And, And I think it's why 
you know, I think it's why we do have uh, and look again. I don't think this is intentional necessarily, but I, it plays well. Is that I? It's also why I like Mitch his job being a lawyer and being somebody who helps people, you know, that have been put in prison because it's basically, you know, helping people in cages. Right. And, (laughs) and we're just dealing with all these characters that are in a cage, so to speak. And I just think it's kind of, you know, fascinating early on when Mitch, you know, asks Melanie at the pet shop, you know, doesn't she feel awful keeping these birds in cages? And then he actually has the moment where he puts, a bird the canary back in the cage and calls it melanie daniels and you know it's basically like a direct metaphor for like melanie is this bird in a cage (laughs) yeah no i definitely agree with you that's why i find mitch as an interesting character because i do think that he is a good pair to melanie i think that he does have like you know that kind of mischievous fun adventurous side that i think she kind of needs to potentially thrive But Mitch, at the same time, is so willing to shove everybody into their cages without being aware of it. That's why, for me, the car scene, you know, their conversation hits really hard because Mitch does like Melanie. He does think that she's smart and she's interesting, but without really thinking about it, he is very quick to shove Melanie into this cage. You know, that's why she kind of leaves that conversation being like, I thought you knew. I just want to run around jumping naked into fountains because Mitch inadvertently, even though he wants to free everybody, shoved her right back into a cage without realizing it. Well, I mean, this is why I don't view the birds as like this perfect no. positive outlook on love. And which I'm only saying because you kind of gave me a look when I mentioned yeah. that I that I I think it's more about the imperfection of love. Is that mm. you know you do have Mitch's character where it's like. He doesn't mean it, Mm -hmm. but he's still leaving a trail behind him of hurt people, you know, whether it be Lydia or Annie. And it's not intentional, but but again, it's why I think that the birds is more about that aspect of love and not necessarily the more positive elements. Because, again, this is a horror movie. horror, Horror movies tend to focus on the more negative aspects of life. And it's sort of there to not only make us aware of it, but Mm -hmm. to kind of at times make us feel like we can fight it although the birds is not exactly a a (laughs) positively ending film so it doesn't necessarily leave you with that message you can't fight the birds um but just like you can't fight the birds you can't fight grief and love right you know it's very difficult and so i think that you know through annie and through lydia you're kind of seeing that and then especially you know with melanie you know when you consider melanie and this is why i do view it as this kind of somewhat mixed viewpoint of love right Mm -hmm. is that melanie goes all the way out to this town maybe for love i mean we never really know her true intentions i don't think she even knows her true intentions right i mean it it would be hard to imagine that she's going there for love she just met mitch you know (laughs) and i don't i don't necessarily think melanie's a person who believes in love at first sight no uh so so we don't really she's probably confused why she's going out there that's the that's the power of love it's confusing you don't really understand it when you first encounter it right uh, with somebody, but but I think that you know once she's out there, you then see her gradually becoming trapped by love, right? Yes. Like she she quite literally becomes trapped by love in this town, yeah. <laughs> uh, because you know she has multiple times uh, throughout the first half of the movie or so where she is given an opportunity to leave. Yeah. And she stays. Yeah. You know, she stays for dinner. She stays when after the first bird attack happens and Mm -hmm. Mitch doesn't feel comfortable with her driving back, right? She continues to stay for love and it ends up kind of 
you know, fucking her over a little bit in the end. (laughs) No, I agree with you. I do think this movie is very much about, you know, the scars of love and the scars that it leaves. Um, But I think the big important question that we have to ask, though, is why do the birds fucking attack? Because they're lovebirds. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The lovebirds never attack. No, well, I know the lovebirds never attack. No, I I more mean that as I, I think the birds are literal representations of grief. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that they're they are representations of grief from love. So, okay. so now, okay, in a in a in a grander sense, right? Mm-hmm. In in the film's more intentional meaning, it is a movie about you know the apocalypse and nature, <laughs> and you know how how nature will fuck us up if it gets a chance. Well, it's basically about how nature always wins. Like, yeah. h- human beings are are probably the most naive <laughs> creature on the planet. Because we somehow think that we're better. Yeah. <laughs> we, we somehow think that, that we have the power. Like, somehow somehow we're going to control, you know, Mother Nature and, like, how that affects our future. And that's just the most ridiculous concept ever because we're fucking animals. Yeah. And, and Mother Nature is Mother Nature, you know. And, and she's going to fucking do what she wants, you know. Yep. So, so it, it, part of that's the naivety of human beings. But, you know, Hitchcock himself... Uh, said that you know part of how he kind of viewed the movie was being about the dangers of complacency Mm -hmm. you know and how we kind of go through life sort of unthinking and it's kind of about like what happens when you're kind of forced to think and that that was sort of a a theme of a lot of his movies and that's kind of the theme of a lot of horror really is you know the the complacency about day-to-day life and what happens when you know, something awful interjects itself into mm-hmm. that. But more particularly with the birds, you know, so if you take that idea of the dangers of complacency, I kind of throw into it that the birds themselves, to me, are kind of the, you know, the uh, the result of grief and and an inability to deal with it. So I guess when I look at the birds and their attacks, you know, I kind of, when you watch this film, the the birds come into very specific scenes, you mm-hmm. know. So when they're first kind of building up, uh, and, and not really necessarily attacking just yet, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of becoming more apparent in the background, it's all during scenes with Mitch and Melanie, kind of forming more of a bond, right? Yeah. So when does the first bird attack? It's after Melanie delivers the letter and she's coming back to the dock and her and Mitch are kind of sharing this like <laughs> you mean you know, after she broke into their house and left birds <laughs> yeah but they're kind of but they're kind of sharing this cute moment of yeah. like oh you know that they, they both realize they're they're practical jokers and this is kind of fun and interesting right mm-hmm. and then Melanie gets attacked by a seagull and then you know we have them like interacting after dinner and they kind of have that you know little spat and then the birds are kind of like you know, catching Mitch's attention. And it, they're basically kind of coming at these times where they interrupt a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's interesting to me that the attacks come the first couple times against children. Mm-hmm. Because children, I think, are the most susceptible to to the violence of love from adults that aren't dealing with it well. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that Mitch and his sister are kind of dealing with Lydia and sort of her grief over what's happened with her husband passing yeah. and kind of how that's affected her. So anyway, long story short, I just view these these birds as this representation of grief where, you know, and, and kind of how grief works where it's like overwhelming and you can't really 
escape it and it just attacks and pecks at you and Mm -hmm. you know kind of eats you away slowly and and that's sort of how i view these birds is they're just they're attacking all of these people who have found themselves as you know sort of quote-unquote separated lovebirds right Mm -hmm. uh who are dealing with this grief and loneliness and the ones who end up not being able to overcome that are the ones who ultimately you know die in the film like you have annie who's probably the best representation of that kind of grief Mm -hmm. uh, and and loneliness, she dies. Uh, I kind of view the old man who gets attacked in his... Former faucet? I I kind of view the farmer, you know, he's this this lonely old guy living on a farm by himself. He's got his chickens! Well, they're not good enough, Chris. He can't fuck his chickens. All right, he can't. Well, that with that attitude, he can't. He can't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think the chickens give him the same loving warmth that a partner would. But the idea being that you know the birds are picking off people that are by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They're picking off people that are alone. And you know, I think the only reason that Lydia ends up surviving is because Lydia, you know, manages to finally deal with her grief a little bit and kind mm-hmm. of face it, right? And these other people just haven't quite done that. So, <laughs> all right. Look, I think it's a good theory. I think that it has a lot of merits. I think you're wrong, and you're stupid. I, look, no, I just no. I think that that all fits with the movie. I personally just had a different take from it. Oh. Um, because again, I'm very hardcore like Melanie Daniels in this. So I'm looking at everything more from her perspective. So for me, well, you can look at it from her point of view too, in that yeah. sense of just like you know, if you want to look at the birds as kind of being her sort of conscious and this like violent confusing consciousness (laughs) well see that's the thing is i view her as she is you know this anomaly in this village like i view it as the opposite of like the birds are fighting against complacency but more so trying to enforce it that's kind of my takeaway from this movie because you know melanie is this breath of fresh air coming to this village you know she's this very different outsider type of thing and they're willing to be polite to her but you know, they don't want her getting involved with their nice young man, Mitch Brenner, and corrupting him. You kind of have that scene with him and his mom in the in the kitchen after dinner sure. where she, she's voicing it. And look, the way that I kind of see it is um, the opposite. Like, the, the original gulls that attack Melanie and then run into Annie's door are warnings for Melanie, like, you need to leave. You're not welcome here. Like, you don't understand what your cage actually is because Melanie's trying to break out of all of that. Mm. And look, Melanie ends up broken by the end of this film. Like, she gets broken down, and I don't think it's by love, but it's by this pressure of all these outsiders expecting her to be something that she's really not. I think it's both. It can. It totally (laughs) can be both. That's why I didn't want to say that you're wrong. I just had a different interpretation. I also have a third interpretation that it's Kathy's powers manifesting. And that, like, the Brenner Brenner women can just control birds. Yeah, absolutely absolutely not. No, hear me out. So the first bird is Lydia, like, warning Melanie to stay away from her son. And then it's Kathy's birthday. Everybody wants to focus on Melanie came into town. But it's Kathy's fucking birthday. Maybe she came of age. Maybe she got bird powers now. She doesn't know how to control them. Well, if the birds, too had been all about whatever the fuck her name is kathy (laughs) uh with telekinesis and controlling bird powers in parts you can't tell me that that wouldn't be amazing i didn't say it wouldn't be amazing i'm just saying i that is not what's happening (laughs) i haven't seen birds too i'm looking at birds one and i think either kathy has bird powers or it's the societal pressure Uh, on women to control uh, 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 u
we we can dig more into that in a second. But but first, I want to know like what what are your thoughts on the scene between Melanie and Lydia? Because you know they do have this relationship that goes back and forth, and kind of to your point, like you know Melanie is trying to maybe maybe not herself trying very basic basically Lydia. Melanie maybe feels she needs Lydia's acceptance, right? Yes. And, and, and they have this scene together where it's finally, like, just the two of them. What do you think about the conversation that happens there? What is the purpose of this moment? This is a great and interesting scene that I fucking love because this is a scene that you can only have, really, between two women. And it's... The importance of this scene is two women really really sharing the pain and the pressure of of being women and what's expected of you look that's my whole takeaway from this is the societal pressures that are put on women to conform to certain expectations okay can you you explain how i don't know how this is particularly about women (laughs) so for me look this is just my takeaway from it but that scene between lydia and and melanie after lydia seeing dan fawcett's dead body you know, is such a really intense scene because it's Lydia admitting to all of her perceived faults, all the things that she thinks is wrong with her and doesn't make her a good mom. The fact that she can't connect with her children, the fact that she doesn't feel like she's as strong now that her husband's gone, the fact that she doesn't feel like she can admit to loneliness and depression without being less than. I think that's just human. That's not it, That's not specifically about women. Look, <laughs> it is. it is a very human thing, but I think especially in the 60s, it was very hard for women to really admit those things they're expected to be these you, kind think, of... <laughs> you think it's easier for men to admit that they're weak <laughs> no, look i here's what i'm saying yes we need more scenes you know with men talking about stuff like this this is why we like no, that exorcist no, no no i'm not i'm not talking about i'm not talking about we need more scenes like that yeah. i'm just saying i i disagree that it's specifically about women i just think that i, I just think that that scene's more about you know just that that the pressures of society in general for mm-hmm. people and and love and and the the loneliness that comes when you lose that love. I don't know that's particularly about women because everything you're saying is it applies directly to everybody. So. It is. It is a very universal experience, but it is for me in that moment. Even though it's a universal experience, sometimes it's easier to talk about something like that with someone from your same group. It's easier for women to talk to other women about these pressures and stuff like that. And that's how I take it. It's a it's a moment where we have two women who have such an intense fear of abandonment because both of them do. The thing we forget about Melanie is that she was abandoned by her mom and that mm. has very much clouded who she is as a person. She doesn't want to be abandoned again. She doesn't want to be left behind. She doesn't want to open herself up. That's why Lydia's acceptance is so important and so terrifying for her. Because what if Lydia does accept her and then Mitch still abandons her or Lydia abandons her? Isn't it easier for her to just walk her own path? And that's why like Lydia and Melanie having this come together where they both kind of admit this fear of loneliness and abandonment and the fact that they're uh, in it together but still at the end of the scene they're not on the same page they haven't accepted each other by the uh, end of that again i think I, I i'm sorry i just don't agree i think that that's a universal feeling so it, so i think <laughs> so i look i take the same thing from it i just don't apply it to just women so like i guess when i look at this scene i i view it more as you know they is that people in general are like these lovebirds in the sense that they're stronger in pairs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so wh- whether any of us want to admit it or not, you know, like if you're, 
Like if you're if you're some person who's out there and like their fifties and you're still living, you know, the single life and fucking like ten people a day or whatever, <laughs> you know, just like whatever your experiences is, and, and you're loving it like that. Power that's to you. That's totally fine. More power to you. I just I do personally think that you know that people are stronger in pairs. You know, mm-hmm. I I do think that we're stronger together. So I think that when I you know when I look at this, I, I view them all kind of that in that way. I view all of our main characters in that way of like whether they want to admit it or not they need that other you know Mm -hmm. so like lydia i think in that moment admitting that she doesn't feel strong enough you know i think that's an admission that she needs that other person she needs someone there it's not about anyone specifically she Mm -hmm. needs that love right yeah you know just kind of like that whole conversation with Melanie and annie about what lydia's whole deal is you know lydia says or annie says it's not particularly about that she thinks Mitch is going to leave. It's just that she needs love, right? Yeah. She needs all of that love. And it, and I view it the same way with the others. You know, Melanie probably doesn't want to admit that she wants somebody in her life, right? Because mm-hmm. she's, she's very much the the go-it-alone kind of personality, and, and maybe it's hard for her to admit that she needs someone. And probably the same with Mitch, too, since Mitch seems so aloof with everything <laughs> and, you know, kind of treated Annie the way that he does. Maybe he doesn't want to admit that he needs somebody, but he does, right? Mm-hmm. So... So I, I view them all in that kind of sense, and that, that to me is what the scene is about. Is it's more about just human beings in general and how, and how whether or not it's true, we feel you know, weaker when we don't have that person that makes us stronger, right? Yeah. And, and I think that, again, it kind of speaks to the grief element of the movie and, and why I think that the birds kind of are representative of that, you know, because they are really these swarming violent pecking at you kind of creatures right that Mm -hmm. that that to me is a kind of perfect representation of grief because that's kind of what grief does it swarms you it pecks at you it kind of takes you apart piece by piece you know it's not like an instant death (laughs) yeah you know so that's sort of how i view that and i think altogether another part of the scene is that and i think you touched on this is that i really do think that part of this movie is again about exploring different elements of love and i think that the horror part of it comes in from the idea of the you know of the kind of grief that does come with love Mm -hmm. and i think that this scene with lydia is a representation for melanie of the potential horror that awaits her with love you know and the idea that one day you probably will face the grief of your partner not being there anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, and I think that that's part of where those tears come from her in that moment is, you know, just the, just the fear of like, man, that, that is my future. If, if I continue with Mitch and if we stay together for a long time, right. Yeah. You know, that that's the fear that I fear with you sometimes. <laughs> like, so, so I think, I think that that's another big part of what the birds is touching on is just and why crows sort of make sense because crows mm-hmm. you know revolve around a lot around death and just the idea that you know it's facing the idea that with love one day you're probably gonna lose your partner you know mm-hmm. and i think that this is all kind of pointed in melanie's face between lydia between annie of like the the potential future that comes from that and it's yeah. why it's why maybe melanie has been alone for so long and is maybe kind of unwilling to admit that she wants that or is afraid of it is because you know she's afraid of things like this <laughs> well i think because melanie knows that feeling yeah like Mel- well right exactly because yeah. her mom abandoned her and she doesn't want to be abandoned again. yeah she doesn't want to have to go through any of that stuff again and it's 
you know, I think that's why part of that scene is so heartbreaking and so perfect because it doesn't have a nice resolve at the end. Lydia and Melanie aren't suddenly on the same wavelength. It's just two women admitting their fears and their grief. And it's the same type of thing. And it's an, it's an understanding between the two, but it's not an acceptance, mm. which I think is, you know, again, the beauty of, of the birds, like you pointed out, this is a very human and a very tragic story and it's really touching on a lot of different human pieces that's why for me i have such complicated feelings with the ending so i'm curious how you feel about the end of the birds well i think i I already know what your complicated feelings are going to be and i'll just (laughs) i would just say again it's a horror movie you know so like so the the thing that people sometimes need to understand about horror is that and i'm not saying this to you but oh you can i'm a slasher fan i'm used to my final girls making it out alive (laughs) and unscathed i i i think i think the misconception especially these days look there's a misconception these days uh that i've talked about here a few times and it just seems to come up every other month or so is this idea that like you know everything about a film has to represent perfectly like reality and, and and the way that we view things and if it if it has even the slightest bit of a, a, a negative viewpoint on something <laughs> then we attribute that to oh you know like like i have like i almost imagine that some people would watch the birds with this concept of you know love being a theme mm-hmm. and that they would watch this and be like fucking hitchcock doesn't believe in love you know or like <laughs> or like something like that and it's like no that's not that's not what it's saying it's mm-hmm. you know horror itself is always pulling at the negative elements of life mm-hmm. and making them more horrific and and you know it's an expression of pain basically right mm-hmm. and and you take from that what you will but it's not the film saying this is how it goes yeah you know it's the film saying this is what can happen mm-hmm. watch this movie take lessons from it and try to avoid that yourself you know yeah so i think that when i look at the birds in this particular ending you know you do kind of find the way that i take it is that melanie honestly has found herself trapped Mm -hmm. uh in this cage of love and you know and it's it's not positive in in this film because i think that you know i think that part of it has come from the pressure of society like you were talking about uh for melanie to be this more you know put together average woman who has a husband and a family mm-hmm. and whatever when maybe all she really does want to do is you know kind of just live her life yeah. right and and now she's found herself trapped in this situation where it's like okay now she's with Mitch and Lydia and Kathy and that's her life you know yep. and and all of these birds are there and that's all the <laughs> grief and love and pain and <laughs> everything surrounding her and so you know i I basically look at this as like you know this is this is a tragic story actually Mm -hmm. where melanie has found herself in a situation that you know she's probably better off not having found herself in Mm -hmm. and by the end of it she's kind of been uh destroyed by what the more negative elements of love and that sort of grief is yeah you know where where by the end i mean she is quite literally (laughs) if if we look at if we look at the birds themselves as being these representations of the grief from love you know melanie is quite literally destroyed by that yes uh in this because she isn't killed but 
these birds all attack her and they just completely change her. You yeah, know? she's not the same person. Right. By the end, she's a she's a catatonic, lifeless version of herself, you know. And and so to me, that is kind of, you know, again, speaking to a more downside of things, which mm-hmm. is she's found herself in a position where she's now tied down and meant and, and meant to be a changed person and maybe not in the way that was best for her, you know? Yeah. And so now she's just kind of stuck in this cage that she was trying to escape from from the beginning (laughs) yeah that's kind of how i feel about it and look when i say complicated complicated is not bad it is the beauty of horror that we're not always going to get happy endings because that's the truth of life Mm. the truth and that's what horror is good at is showing us the truth of these darker situations we don't always make it out the way that we want to we all want to believe that we're going to be final girls and we're going to beat the fucking monster when i get the end we're still going to be strong my dream to be a final girl (laughs) i know it is but you know the truth is sometimes we don't make it out we don't make it out unchanged or different and i think it is the beauty of the birds you know Yes, I think that the birds can represent the grief of love. But again, for me, going more from a societal thing, you know, we're seeing at the end, you know, her being so henpecked by society into conforming to what they think that she should. Henpecked, nice touch. I know, right? (laughs) Thought about this. You know, that she is conformed into this person that is so unlike the person we met at the beginning. She is now suddenly this quiet, fragile, docile person. And now Lydia can accept it now that she's helpless. Well, well, totally. I mean, look at, you know, she's been made vulnerable by Mitch because, Mm -hmm. you know, she's been pecked and pecked and pecked by Mitch and and her lifestyle, right? (laughs) Yeah. So she's made more vulnerable by him. Uh, she's trying not to get too attached, and Kathy is drawing her in further and further and making her feel guilty. Yeah, for you don't want to disappoint right? a kid who has bird powers. Uh, <laughs> Lydia, she's just getting a reminder over and over again of like what her future could hold, and you know the kind of position she might find herself in someday, and like and the I, unacceptance of her own mother. Right, and so so yeah, you know, I I do think that by the end, like she she's literally quite a, a bird trapped in a cage. You know, yeah. she she is. She is absolutely that, and she has found herself in a worse place <laughs> than Ooh. she was, which, which again, is very tragic, yeah. and, and I don't quite know that that is the intention, but that's kind of how I view it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of whether she gets pecked by, by the grief of love or by society, our very end thing is Melody is finally getting out of this, and the birds are finally quiet. Mm. Like, she's finally acquiesced to whatever the birds wanted, and so they are quiet, and she can finally leave this fucking horrible town. I mean, that's one way to view it, yeah. <laughs> I, I more view it as she's trapped forever in this because the birds have taken over. and She will always live with the birds. Yeah, I think that's the basic idea is that, mm-hmm. again, if you look at the birds as being representative of all that, you know, you look at the ending of this and the birds have taken over the world, which therefore means they have taken over Melanie's world. And so Melanie is now trapped in this life forever. So. And there's literally <laughs> birds in her car. Right, so there's no escape. So uh, a couple of fun things that I wanted to add again, just because I, I like doing this for those who care, is that speaking of this ending, just two fun facts, is that one, uh, when Tibby Hendren gets attacked by all the birds, uh, she <laughs> Hitchcock actually lied to her and said that they were going to use mechanical birds for this. Oh. And then he told her on the day of shooting that the mechanical birds weren't working. And her viewpoint, they never even really tried <laughs> the mechanical birds. So they actually use real birds in this, and it, and granted, they had their, like, you know, beaks taped and claws taped and whatever, so they wouldn't, you know, be as painful or anything, but 
Uh, but she really did go through, like, having a swarm of birds, like, come at her. Um, I mean, and, he was kind of known for being a bit of a bitch, wasn't he? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Alfred. I mean, he, he wasn't an, on the level of, like, Kubrick, you know, who really tortured his actors. But, that was good, uh, at least. But, but, no, yeah, Hitchcock, I mean, Hitchcock wanted, you know, the, the reality of the scene, right? So it's not like he was always completely nice to his actors. But, yeah, so she went through that, which I thought was kind of interesting. And for those that don't know, you know... Uh, real birds were used a lot in this you know like i found it interesting actually to find out that uh for for certain scenes like when the kids are all being chased to the church mm-hmm. when they're running away it's fake birds that well not fake birds it's real birds that were uh shot on a different screen and like inter- you know i'm not gonna get in the technicals of it but but for the moments where it's like up close with the people they were actually running on treadmills and had like the birds like wired to them and everything <laughs> so, uh but anyway so uh, i found all these kids on treadmills <laughs> yeah so i found that interesting and then also i, I just wanted to mention this because i think it's really cool the the last shot where they are driving away with all the birds is according to hitchcock that uh, if i if i understood this correctly that's like 30 at least 30 pieces of film actually spliced together what to have different elements of it well because you have like you know, all the birds in the foreground and there's different pieces of film that they had to shoot to like make all of that work. Mm-hmm. And then the car driving away and then there's like a matte painting that's put in, you know, so there's a lot, it's a very complicated image basically. Damn. And there's a lot of trick shots in the movie and that's the most complicated one. So. All right, Alfred, go off. That's amazing. Yeah. So I found that interesting, but, but anyway, so we do have to wrap up. So who was your killer idiot of the birds? Dude, that's the fucking asshole who lights the cigar, like, in the parking lot thing. Like, bitch, do you not smell, like, the gases leaking out? Are you not paying attention to everybody freaking out about, like, the birds attacking that dude? You're just going to light a goddamn cigar? Fuck yeah. you. You blew up, like, <laughs> six cars. The birds had nothing to do with that. Yeah, no, that that's my pick as well. And I just want to add, too, that, again, what a different time. Like, it, it amuses <laughs> me so much to see... You know, the restaurant with, like, the cigarette machine in the background, right? right? And, and, like, all of the characters are smoking and everything. Like, just such a different time period. (laughs) Every time we watch an old movie, I don't smoke anymore, but I want to smoke again. I won't, but these old movies make me want to because Tippi Henderson (laughs) looks so cool with her cigarette. It's why why I smoke weed. I get a little (laughs) taste of that, but I don't need to do it all day. Yeah, well, I can't because my brain's fucked. (laughs) Uh, but anyway, so who's your killer death of the birds? Dude, that's Dan Fawcett, the farmer who gets his eyes pecked out. He has, like, the most iconic, like, dead body ever. Yeah, so that's mine as well. You know, it's not it's not an actual death scene. We just <laughs> find a dead body. Um, but that's but that's mine because it is so unexpectedly gruesome that yeah. I can only imagine how shocking that was for audiences. And really quick, just to go back to a theme I was talking about, uh, I think it's I think it's in particular very interesting that lydia is the one who discovers that body it's because they were secretly lovers no it's because because i think lydia discovering that body is lydia looking at her own future Mm. because here is this man that was by himself nobody to help nobody to protect him nobody to be there with him he had chickens and and a farmhand he did not have chickens (laughs) and the farmhand wasn't there so so i think i think that lydia in particular is so shocked by that death because she's looking into her future of dying alone, basically, you know, and and 
Yeah, or, or, or her fear of the future of dying alone. <laughs> but anyway, so who's your killer MVP of the birds? I mean, obviously that goes to Tippi Hendren because, you know, I love Melanie Daniels so much. And she does such a good job of bringing kind of all these subtle nuances so that you can kind of piece together who Melanie Daniels as a person is because of that performance. And mm. I fucking love her. and She's life goals. And if I could be as cool as <laughs> Melanie Daniels, I'd be super excited. Also, what? I do have to do a second place for that little child extra that I fucking love. There's a small child extra in the film that um, she appears like three times, and she's amazing every time. The first time <laughs> the is the little in... kid that's just kicking. Yes, <laughs> no, no, she appears three times. She's like just like she's the one at the party that the bird's on top of her, and she's kicking so pathetically. But then every time you see her face, she has the best like I'm so scared face, and I fucking love her, and I would adopt her in a yeah, second. Yeah, well, I mean, funny thing about that, I guess, since you bring it up, is again, like I mentioned, you know, as far as I understand how they did those scenes the bird is actually like wired to that child so that it's just <laughs> she's attached to that bird yeah so it's just sitting there pecking at her but again with its like beak and everything taped so <laughs> i do love the fact that they just fucking threw birds they were just like nope you get off this child they grabbed it and they threw it yeah there's a lot of real birds actually in the movie like we watch this and we think that they're all like you know fake but i mean you know they didn't have cgi at the time no so, they're like, all real birds they're all real birds and you know what they again i'm not a technical person so i'm not going to get into the you know that's the science of it or whatever <laughs> uh but they but they did like um like like blue screen and and uh like some sort of sodium technique or whatever mm -hmm. or, or again i'm not a technical person but <laughs> but they did they did a lot of really uh intricate techniques that were new at the time to kind of superimpose these birds right so and it looks amazing and it does and they did things too that i think is really cool like now i'm just nerding out but they Fuck did you. things too that are really cool like you know when melanie is having all the birds gather behind her at the at the schoolyard yeah, while they're singing the ridiculous song that makes no sense yes and well there's a whole other reason for that but uh but the the shot of you know the playground covered in birds i mean it's just so fascinating like the tricks of film and and what hitchcock did to kind of fool the audience is that there's a few real birds in there, but the rest are all fake. And, you know, the idea being that if you see a few birds moving, you'll think they're all moving and, yeah. and it works. Right. So anyway, uh, my killer MVP is also to be Hendren. And it's yeah. because I do think that, you know, I mean, one, the characters is really well written. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, some of the credit definitely has to go to writer Evan Hunter. But absolutely. But also, I just think Tippy brings such a great, uh, a great just kind of mood to the character. She does a really great performance. She's she's endearing she's fun she's cute you know like she just she just you want to be her best friend yes <laughs> uh and and she is and i just it's almost sad actually thinking like how how well developed of a female character we have here in 1963 mm -hmm. and it was around i in my in my opinion like the the late 70s and especially into the 80s where women stopped getting characters as well written as that <laughs> yeah uh at, at least in horror you know and it's just it is interesting like and the same thing happened with you know uh minority cultures and all that kind of stuff like you saw better written uh minority characters in film and then there was just this period between like you know the the late 70s and 80s and 90s where it just you know Society was like, oh, no, we're just going to make it all about white men again. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> fuck that misogyny and racism rampant. Yeah, so so anyway, no, I think she does a great job. I, I think it's really fun to know that, you know, Hitchcock had seen her in a commercial, uh, and that's and that's where he found her for this and signed her to a contract. And it's really cute, the story for, like, how he 
uh, gave her the job as they like went through all these screen tests with her and everything. And then he and his wife and a producer, I think, took her to dinner and he ended up giving her this like uh, pin with three birds or whatever uh, as a gift and told her he wanted her to star in the birds, mm-hmm. right? And everyone was crying and whatever. Um, but I just think that's great. And for those who are, again, nerds about this stuff, there's the scene where we see her early on and she's walking in the pet shop and a kid whistles at her and mm-hmm. she looks back. That's actually uh, a moment from the commercial that he saw her in. Aww. So it's kind of like an inside joke with that. That's how I, can I just uh, say I want a movie where it's about Melanie and Annie being best friends because I truly believe if Annie had survived, they would have been there, best friends. Well, and there's and there's such good female characters written together, right? Cuz yeah. like I, I feel like I feel like now or at least, you know, in the time that we grew up, I feel like you'd see a character dynamic like that and they would just be two women that like hate each other and are jealous and, you know, yeah. are doing all these like, you know, tropey things with women and cat fighting and stuff. And I, I just love that they just made them human. And yeah, like... it's, it's two women together where they both accept the fact that there is this dude involved, but his business is his own shit and they're not going to let that really come between them. They're still right. going to connect. It's so fucking good. Give me more women like Melanie and Annie and yeah. I will watch all your movies. Yeah, it's just it's just such a human and adult way to do it and not leaning into this tropey crap that we see all the yeah, time, this right? this bullshit of like women have to fight each other. It's the one thing I do well, love about this film. We don't really get that. Women, men, I mean, you just never yeah. see it port. It's so rare to see it portrayed like this these days, right? Yeah. So uh, but no, anyway, so yeah, TV Hunter and MVP. <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it for us on The Bird. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, I doubt a lot of you thought that we were just going to spend an hour talking about love. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's what The uh, Birds is about. Yeah, that's that's how we view it. Um, But so that was The Bird. So next week we are going to be talking about a movie that I am going to be surprised if we find anything worthwhile digging into, uh, which is going to be Beaks. Fuck yeah. So, so if you've never seen Beaks, it is basically a Mexican ripoff of the birds. Fuck yeah, I'm so excited about this now. <laughs> you've seen Beaks. <laughs> we, I have forgotten. We watched, well, it's not a very memorable movie, but you've seen Beaks. We watched it. It's hilarious. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited about this entire month because it's all going to be fun, weird bird movies. And those are my favorite type of movies. Yeah, well, they're both basically ripoffs of the birds. We've got Beaks next week and then we have Birdemic the week <laughs> after that. Uh, so get ready to watch some bad movies. Although I will say again, the Beaks itself is very fun and ridiculous. Um, and I believe that that is streaming, I want to say on Prime, maybe? Uh, it might not be streaming. I don't know that it's a movie that I would say it's definitely worth your rental money. But if you like, you know, so if you're familiar with, uh, the way that the Italians ripped off uh, a ton of genre movies... (laughs) Uh, during the 70s and 80s, this is kind of like the Mexican version of that. It is very much a ripoff of the birds, yes. uh, but very silly and, and stupid. So if you're into those kind of movies, I do think it's maybe worth your rental dollars. <laughs> uh, but anyway, check it out. See if it's streaming. I think it's on Prime, maybe on Tubi, but see if you can find it. Uh, but that's going to do it for us on the bird. So hope you enjoyed that. And I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a good night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at KillerFromSpace, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. 
New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>